and welcome to Combat Thoughts. I'm Robbie. I'm Lee. And I'm Alex. We're going to take a deeper look at culture and philosophy behind martial arts. Hello and welcome to episode 64 of Combat Thoughts. This week we speak to JP from Elements BJJ in Brighton. Uh, JP started jiu-jitsu when he was 38 and got a black belt when he was 49. So we talked to JP about doing jujitsu as an older guy. Uh, we talked about his experiences and accidentally insult him about well, how old he is and how unfit he was when he started jujitsu. So I hope you enjoy. JP, take us back to the beginning. Um, earliest martial art or relevant martial art experience? All the way back. Um, uh, well, I mean, you can you, keep it uh, keep it sensibly brief if it's going to be too okay. much. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, well, I am old, so there'd be a lot of time to go, I suppose. I, suppose, I think, um, I, I guess, f- I'm kind of so just clear. I'm fifty one. So when I when I was younger, like martial arts, if you had if someone could do martial arts, it was like a superpower. Do you know what I mean? There's a lot of like mysticism about it and mythology and there was always kind of that thing where they'd say, I oh, don't want to mess with that guy. He knows karate or, or anything like that. So I kind of always was aware of it, but I guess it wasn't really until the, around the sort of mid nineties when I tried like a few karate classes or something. So I'd have been in my mid twenties, but to be honest with you, I spent most of my twenties like partying and stuff like that. So I didn't really have time for anything serious, like a sport or an activity. And then Around 30, what happened was I had had it. So I'd had a young family. Um, had a, I had got my first proper job and started to have that kind of concern about the fact that my body wasn't reflecting what. Out, when I was looking at it in the mirror, I was like thinking, what on earth is going on? <laughs> so I kind of decided to get into fitness of some kind, right? So you're talking about the turn of the millennium, around 2000 a bit. So I started doing a bit of running and yoga. And although that sounds unrelated, what I found with those kind of activities was there was no progression, right? You just kind of run. And I was doing that Bikram, that hot mm-hmm. yoga, which is just kind of you do the same postures every single time. So you just get hot, a bit stressed, and you don't really – there's no kind of like learning a new thing. So, so you take away from Bikram yoga is hot and stress, nothing else. Yeah, else. yeah. <laughs> yeah, panic attacks. What? That doesn't sound great. No, it's not. Um, so I did that. And then at the place, so in, in Brighton, there's a, uh, in Hove, it's dynamic yoga now. That used to be where it was. And in there, they used to do, there was a, uh, some studios. And in one of them, they used to do Wing Chun Kung Fu. Now, because of when I was a kid and growing up, Obviously, there's Bruce Lee, and you read all about that stuff about how Wing Chun was like part of his lin- his sort of lineage. And at the time, um, I was also my, like my favorite kung fu film was um, The Prodigal Son, which kind of played on that myth of you know the weak can do cool stuff by chain punching and not really fighting properly or whatever you you know thinking wrong. I'm sure if you're good at Wing Chun, then you can devastate people. But yeah, I didn't really find that for me. But I started doing it, so I did it for a couple of years. And at the time, I was like thinking, maybe I want to be a martial artist because of all that stuff about superhero powers. And I thought, well, maybe I need to widen my scope. And at the time, so I don't know if you 
know, Robbie, be- way before your time, there used to be a place in Brighton called Zero Tolerance Gym, ZT Fight School. And Sol Gilbert, who's like um, one of the early MMA guys in the UK, that was his gym. And the studios where you used to Wing Chun, you'd go out and I remember clocking these guys sort of doing MMA. There was a cage, like a small cage in there. Mm-hmm. And they were doing that. And I saw people like doing stuff that wasn't striking and, and, and also wasn't shuffling up and down a hallway, punching the air or doing forms either as an aside. And I thought, that, oh, that looks quite interesting. And I, the guy who ran the class, the Wing Chun class, was called Simon Chan. And his brother is Kevin Chan, who runs Kamon, the, the big Wing Chun Federation. But they also, Ke- Kevin Chan is one of the first like UK BJ, uh, BJ Black Belts. Mm-hmm. And he does the whole complete martial artist thing. So I remember turning to Simon, his brother, and asked and saying to him, what's going on? What's that about? And he said, oh, we do that. And they, they would do like one day a week. So I kind of thought, mm, that looks quite interesting. But I couldn't really get to the, the class at the time. And also, I didn't really know much about it. Anyway, so I started fishing around for other things to do to supplement my chain punching expertise. And I, and I mucked around with a few different things. Someone sort of said, try judo and Aikido. So I did a bit of Aikido for about three or four months. And I was like... I'm not sure this is for me either <laughs> for for reasons that anyone who's ever looked at somebody who does Aikido would probably fathom. But I did read, have you read um, Angry White Pajamas? I haven't read this. What no, so Angry White Pajamas? It's a, it's a book by, his name's Twigger, I think. And he basically was a learning, a teaching English as a foreign language in, in Japan. Mm-hmm. And one of the things he did was he signed up to do the Tokyo Riot Police Aikido course. I think it's something like that. So obviously I read the book and went, ah, Aikido must be tough because Tokyo Riot Police do it. And I, I mean, one, that sounds like a cool name for a band, first of all, like Tokyo Riot Police. But I thought if I'm going to do something cool, then Tokyo Riot Police would be the thing. So I did Aikido for a bit and I was like, mm, I'm not sure I could actually throw somebody using these techniques. So then I was kicking about and... One of the guys who I used to train with, a guy called Tim, at Ding Wing Chun, he'd started training. There was a guy called Marcelo from Brazil who'd started a BJJ in Brighton. So I don't know if anyone you've spoken has ever mentioned him before, but he was basically one of the first guys. And it was, it was at the Brighton Judo Club, as it was, so what element, where Element Square I train now is. And I said to him, Tim, I want to do something beyond this Wing Chun stuff. And he went, come and do BJJ. So I was like, okay, I have a look. It was super expensive, right? And I was like, and Marcelo is actually who Yusuf, um, the main coach at Elements, and also Kim trained with him, and a guy called, really cool guy called Ed, Ed Wynn, who's now got his black belt as well, used to train there. So like the old school Brighton heads used to train there. Oh, so that's where like, that's where the Brighton lineage comes from then. Yeah, initially, initially. And then, uh, but it, but I was kind of like, ah, oh, I don't know. And also, actually, another guy, I don't know if you ever met Phil, who's now, he's got his black belt, Phil Cottingham, who's up, he's like in the Lake District. Hmm. He trained there as well. And, yeah, so I kind of thought about it, and but I didn't do it. What I ended up doing was signing up, uh, on the, <laughs> I went to this sports hall in Portslade and did Thai Jitsu. 
I know, I know about Thai grappling. No, no, no. Oh, no, no, no. Au contraire, not that at all. So on reflection, I think it, the guy, I think, was like a trad taekwondo guy and a trad jiu-jitsu he was a black belt and those two things had said had seen the emergence of MMA and gone I think there's something in this and and you know and had a bit of a a think and went what could I call it where I mix the two things ah I know Thai Jitsu (laughs) so that's but the thing about it is that's where I got into grappling because the the first half of the class would be putting on pads and punching each other mainly windmilling and random stuff like that and the second half was grappling but it was it was it was madness right because it it was there was some structure to it but we were a bunch of people who didn't know what we were doing and we were like can opening each other heel hooking each other and it was just it was just it was just like a brawl but with no <laughs> punching right and, and i remember and the guy so he's he's the guy who i was talking about before we started this who 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 kind of was a bit odd, you know, that kind of, the, the kind of people you, you find in martial arts where you go, they, they can break, they kind of bring you into that world where it's kind of like, yeah, we're going to teach you fighting and it's going to be you. And then sort of nurtures you and you're kind of like, I'm quite good at this, but you're good because you're with the people who you're sparring with. Right. So and there's another guy who trained there who's a black belt now, uh, um, one jiu-jitsu at Ivan's place a guy mm-hmm. called Julian a really cool guy he used to train there as well but as, as an aside he he was like a black belt in taekwondo so we'd do the stand-up stuff and he would just beat the shit out of me with like I'd be there going yeah I'm going to chain punch this guy because I've done Wing Chun and then he would just kick me in the head and it would just be like this is rubbish so so I kind of, so I kind of got into the, the grappling thing so when would this be this would be around 2008, 2009, 2009, let's say. Mm-hmm. And then one time we were doing a drill and it was a like some kind of throw and then a counter to the throw. Um, I was doing working the counter and when I went to do the counter, my instead of like, it was like a, a, a trip to the back. But as I did it, my, my knee got, my leg got stuck and, uh, my, and I hit the deck, and, and as part of my leg being trapped, my patella came out to the side. You know, to this, so imagine your knees like this. The patella came out to the side like that, right? And, um, and yeah, it kind of hurt, but felt really yeah. weird. And a little tip, if that ever happens to you, is if you straighten your leg, the patella just pops back into place. But it makes you feel like you want to vomit and everything when, when you do say, it. It's like, so I it's did, easy to say, no, just pop your shoulder back into place. And it's like, oh. Oh, I've done that. I've done that as well, but that's a slightly <laughs> different story. Um, that was that. I did that when I trained at Fight Zone um, in London once. I was a purple belt, and I got. I was working in London, and everyone was going, "Yeah, got it." No, not Fight Zone. Fight Factory before Fight Zone came apart. But London Fight Factory before Kenya set up mm-hmm. Fight Zone. I went to one of Marco's classes at Fight Factory, and we're doing specific sparring, and this, and we're doing. DLR, yeah, we're doing DLR, and um, this Polish dude, why is it always a Polish guy? Right? I don't know, but this Polish dude was doing it, and he's and we're doing like just drilling, and as he swept me, I posted, and my arm popped out, 
And I thought, ah, oh, I've got at least an hour and a half before I get home. So I did actually, everyone was like, you know, when people crowd around you, they're going, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, I'm trying to be tough in this gym where I didn't know anybody. And they went, what should we do? I went, just pull my arm out. <laughs> and they pulled it, pulled it back into place. Yeah. I had something similar anyway. to break falling, but nobody told me how to break fall. And we was practicing double legs and I went down and backwards and just put my hand like oh. that. And... Yeah, yeah, sucks, right? And, and you're looking at least 12 weeks, if even yeah. just for a minute. We sleeping on like a pillow thing. as well, and it was really grim. So what happened then? Oh, sorry, yes, back to Tai Jitsu Madness. The weird, ju- the weird Tai Jitsu, yeah. The weird guy. So I, I got injured, and then, um, I mean, there's loads of stuff. About, we, anyway, I got injured, and then he kept kind of like trying to contact me, trying to find out what I was up to, and, and I was like, this is... and. The, you know when you have um, moments of reflection, excuse me. So, with the injury, I had that sort of started thinking about what I was doing, and I'd done it for about two years. And I was thinking, I started play, replaying the incidents in my mind and how he treated the students. And I was like, mm, I'm not sure that's a healthy environment. Maybe I need to think about something else. And so I contacted the, the, that kid, Tim, again. And by now, Marcelo had disappeared. But there were three places to train jiu-jitsu in Brighton. So I was 39. Um, so that would be, I think it was January 2010. Yeah, January 2010. So Tim said to me, check out these three places. Go and try them out. So the three places were, there was, um, so Miad. I think had a play was running his like a I don't know if they were Alliance at the time. He was running something down at King Alfred's. I contacted him, but the timings didn't quite work for me, so I couldn't get to that. There was um, Ivan Maciel was running jiu-jitsu classes at ZD, CT Fight School. So ZT Fight School had uh, was the MMA place. So Ken Shiro, who does the um, Thai boxing up at um, the race course with his own setup, he was one of the guys there. So, and there was another place which is now, it was the precursor to what was Grand Union, which is uh, locally, which was prior to that, it was RGA. And I'm not sure who, who, it was, who it was under then, but it was run by Gus, who used to run Grab, grab and Pull, who now does the, um, who then ran, who, who, who set up BJJ 24-7, I believe, and also now sold that and now runs the, the big, one of the big comp, comps. He's done a few bits. So, yeah, yeah, man. So he he's he was like a face, a big face on the Brighton scene. I think he still trains. Well, no, he he was he was at Grand Union, I think, for a bit under Caesar. But anyway, so I went to those. I went. I couldn't get to Miads. I went to the one that Gus ran. That was in, a, uh, you know, a fitness gym or something. And there was a guy called Darren, who was also a brown belt there. I think so. I went rocked up to that in my kind of after my couple of years of mad cranky grappling kind of did some, we did some kind of King of the Guards type stuff and I kind of did okay. Right. So I thought, Oh, maybe there's something, maybe, maybe I have learned to grapple and I'm kind of okay. So I messaged my mate Tim. I said, yeah, I went, it was really cool. And he said, try the other one, try Ivan's as well. So I rocked up to Ivan's thinking, they're, they're probably just going to throw a blue bell at me. I'm going to rock, rock up. They're going to say, this guy is like a legit phenom, even though he's 39. 
and give me give me a blue belt. And I spent the entire session getting absolutely mauled by like one stripe white belts. <laughs> and, and I was like, ah, uh, okay. Didn't didn't learn. No. And also getting told off for doing things like heel hooking people and you know, pass guard. How am I gonna pass this guy guy's guard? I'm gonna I'm literally going to put his chin into his chest and see if I can break his spine. Right. You know, that all the whole can opener thing and then getting called out for that. So I was like, okay. So I stayed there. So I thought, actually, you know, I'm going to stick with Ivan's place. Stayed with Ivan, trained with him. Um, he gave him, I got my purple belt. So I'm a blue belt in about a year and a half. Got my purple belt in about three years. Um, I was competing a lot. Uh, and then for the classic, for reasons that maybe I don't want to talk about too much, <laughs> um, I, 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 I moved on. Okay. I mean, I, yeah, I moved on from that. So <laughs> uh, I, just, I just think maybe it, it wasn't the right place for me. I think maybe it just wasn't the right place for me. Ivan at the time, it's probably different now, but at the time it was, there was a kind of like a, you don't train with other, pe- other clubs kind of mentality. Crunch. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, you know, and I, I mean, it was, it, was, it was a tough place. I mean, what I learned from training there, don't take me wrong, he's a legit black belt. And when I rocked up there day one, I was overweight, crappy grappler, and he turned, uh, you know, uh, that person, IT software consultant, into someone who could go to, and, you know, I used to go to comps. And if I didn't, I, I expected to podium, right? Every time I went to a comp, I expected to podium. And, you know, I won the British Open. I won lots of, I, it, you know, I had a good comp record. But it, it just wasn't the right environment for me. Maybe because of that more to that sort of old school outlook. So as it turned out, I was kind of looking for an out and I happened to land a, a project in um, Paris. So, I, and I was there four days a week. So I wasn't a, really able to train in the UK. I started training, I trained at three places, two places predominantly, um, Gracie Baja Paris, uh, which was kind of like where all the creatives from Paris would tra- who were introduced who would train and it was all very nice. And I trained at, Hybrid grappling, which is basically, was all the, it was like all the ghetto kids. And it was just like, you know, I'd walk in, I'd walk into this sort of Parisian suburb and I'd had to walk through quite a rough area to get into it, get to the gym where we were training. And I'd like walk in and you could see all their eyes like going, ching, ching, and they're, oh, who's this coming in? And yeah, and I, it was really tough training, but great fun, really super cool guys. But what I learned there in Paris was that that old school mentality wasn't widespread. I, I, I thought that's how jiu-jitsu was until I'd had been, uh, you know, I'd, I'd come across this. I think that's um, how um, jiu-jitsu was, to be mm, fair. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. even, well, you, you're talking about 10 years ago now, right? Mm, yeah, 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 totally, yeah. So I think if you go years. much beyond that, then that probably would have been pretty common. Yeah, so on 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 Facebook, I left it because I, got, I couldn't handle the the nonsense on it. But there's a Facebook group which was like the UK BJJ scene, mm. 
Mm-hmm. It was, I think it was called the BJJ Underground, I think. Oh, I'm on that, yeah. Yeah, at the time, it was full of this kind of don't train out of the gym, dojo snort, all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, they're going, oh, what? last I checked, it's 2013, right? Do you know what I mean? It's not, we're not in that world. But that, anyway, that was my view. And also when I was in Paris, I trained at um, some Lucha Livre, Nicola Renier's Lucha Livre place and our fight, which was super cool. And learned, met some really cool guys and learned some cool things. So I was doing that. Sorry, this is quite a long winter, isn't it? So I was doing that four days a week and then training in Brighton on the Fridays and the weekends. And at the time, Yusuf had, and me had to set up elements. So I'd been, you know, I went into, because I'd stayed friends with Yusuf because he used to be at Ivan Maciel's as well. And yeah, that's pretty much how I ended up sort of becoming a student with Yusuf. Um, I had been sort of occasionally training under the, that was the thing, right? I'd, I'd go and train with Yusuf and I'd be saying, I'd be going, ah, oh, you know, secretive about it. You know, I was a 43, 44 year old fucking man. Do you know what I mean? With a really responsible job and a family and I'm sneaking off to train somewhere. It's just <laughs> fucking ridiculous. And, uh, and yeah, so, so that, so then that, Stayed with, I started training with him and then basically that's it from stayed stayed there from whenever it was I suppose that would be six years ago seven years ago so maybe maybe a bit more when we were at the old place in Hove um but Yusuf was set up permanently then right huh? like that was Yusuf's full-time thing at that point I guess I, I think so yeah yeah I think so he, yeah Especially when, um, I think it kind of became Yusuf was full time. Miad was always part time um, because he's got you know other business interests, mm-hmm. and that that's it. So I, I've started been training with Yusuf ever since. Now, what was it? Twenty twenty two. Got my black belt in twenty nineteen. So after nine years of training, um, yeah, there you go. That took. 22 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. All right. That's all right. Some guys really, like, some guys fly through it and they're like, so I have this 10-year journey. I'm going to tell you in one minute. Mm. Well, like, well yeah, what sorry. the fuck happened in the meantime? So this was a lot better. Um, sorry. Um, did anything ever happen with Ivan? Did he ever confront you about sneaking <laughs> off? Are we allowed to talk yeah. about this? The court case is still pending. <laughs> <laughs> We can talk. We can talk about it. We can talk about it. So, actually, at the time, it's around the time the Ryan Hall open letter, the whole Lloyd Irvin thing kicked off, and I think there was a lot of self reflection within the BJJ community. And being a 43, 44 year old man, I kind of had that reflection myself, right? Where I was like thinking, "What the fuck? What is going on?" And um, you know, we exchanged some messages, and you know, rightly he was a bit annoyed because. I know, I know we pay, right? I know we pay membership dues or whatever you want to call it, but it is different, right? I do think it's different to turning up and playing football uh, for, you know, for a team at the weekend. I do think it's different because of the nature of the sport and it does have a history. And I think, like I've said before, it, it is still not feudal, but it's still more traditional in the, in the relationship between the people who teach and the people who go to learn. 
I'm not saying that's right, but I think if you're of a, if from a culture and from a background where you perceive things to be a certain way, then I can understand why you'd be pissed off. And he was, right? He was pissed off. Um, since then, um, we've said hello to each other. You know, I saw him at the Brighton Open recently. He said, hey, how you doing? He's always asking me to go and train. Sometimes I'm thinking, if I go and train there, what would happen? You know, would, 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 how, how quickly would that armbar be off? I don't know. But, you know, he's always, he's been super cool. I think uh, you got to remember as well when when he, when I started training with Ivan, he was he was young, right? He'd got his brown belt by, by, and black belt. He was in his mid twenties, you know. He, he and he's a re, you know, re, regardless of whether or not I think that gym is the right place for me to train, he's successful and he, he's built a life for himself here in the UK and he's done really well. And I respect that. And I respect the fact that he turned, like I said, an, an overweight IT consultant into someone who had the confidence to, you know, to, to win competitions. And, you know, I'm not going to point out that when I did go win the British Open, Yusuf was there, not Ivan. I mean, Yusuf cornered me on the day. But, you know, and I was, still, and I was under Ivan's team at the time. Sorry, right. Yusuf's but... cornering his shit anyway. And I'm not... <laughs> Pass, 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 pass. But yeah, he, now he's cool. So he, you know, he's been, so Yusuf, and Yusuf has had a massive effect on how I view jiu-jitsu, the longevity around jiu-jitsu and stuff like that. I mean, I would, I remember going to the, about a week after I got my purple belt. So I was training at Ivan's. And then when I got my purple belt, I, I was, I sulked so badly because I was like, I'd signed up for the Euros. I was, like I said, I was winning stuff. A blue belt, I was just rampaging through yeah, for, in the old guys division, but you know, I was still having success. And I signed up for the Euros. I was going, I'm going to go to the Euros. I'm going to smash it. And then I got my purple belt about three months before, and I was like, what the, <laughs> what the fuck is this about? And Ivan was like, come on, come on, let's go and have something to eat. Because there was a couple of us got a purple belt, purple belts that evening. Come on, let's all go. And I said, no, I'm not going. <laughs> like, what? Because this doesn't happen all the time, you know, getting your belt. I said, I don't, I don't <laughs> I just, but it's salt went home. But anyway, well, you thought he sabotaged you? Yeah. No, he didn't. He he just. I'm sure he did. It, it. If it felt like that, it felt like that. Yeah. Okay. But so we do talk to him. Um, I bumped into him. We kind of cleared the air when about it was last year actually, maybe the year before. It was the year before. During. Yeah, I'd gone. I'd, funny enough, I'd, my car, the place where ser- that serviced my car, is near his gym. So I was walking down the street to go and get my car, and I thought, "Who the? Oh, that's Ivan." And there was no one else in the street. It's like uh, I can't hide. <laughs> that would be bad. So I was like, "Let's just say hello, see how it goes." And he was like super nice and super friendly. So I, I think I'd built up this thing where I thought he was going to sort of, I don't know slap me around the face, call me a creonch and armbar me in the street or something, you know, double leg me and beat the shit out of me. But no, it was all cool. And like I said, I've seen him at comps since then. He's been fine. So, I mean, you said it before, and I think you hit a good point where it's kind of like self-reflection over the years, kind of, I think jujitsu has kind of grown up a bit and people understand that life happens mm. and you're going to train at different places now. And I, I think it's less bad as it used to be with the kind of creonch and stuff like that. But I don't. I, I think, I think especially with the the kind of 
the way things are now with the whole super yeah. fight thing, people being pros. You know, the funny thing about that whole you can't train anywhere else, right? At the time, not just Ivan, but across the UK, it was it was commonplace that 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 sort of you know you train you fly one flag and all yeah. this kind of shit. All the black belts were all training with each other. <laughs> Right, they were going. Where, where are you going? They're all tra- they're all fucking off to go and train each other because they want good training. And obviously, at the time, I mean, now you're spoiled for the amount of black belts there are. Back then, it wasn't the case, and so they would travel distance to go and train with each other. And they'd be like, you'd be like seeing all these like social media posts of all these guys who were there going, yeah, Creon did one team like that with their best mate going, yeah, great roles today, guys. <laughs> Only hard training. Like, what the fuck is that about? So, yeah. Why do you think the changes actually happen? Uh, or, or you said it was, you said that you think that jujitsu is a bit different in the fact that you can't, that there is that uh, relationship or something to do with the sport. Do you think it's to do with like historically where the sports come from, or what? What is it about jujitsu that's led to the Crianchi or the sort of student master thing, where other sports don't? Um, it's younger. It's younger, right? So, other other martial arts, um, not so much sports, but other martial arts. Have you seen Kung Fu Panda? Right, all that kind of stuff. That kind of idea of a master picks their the acolytes, they're just their pupils, and it's all kind of like I am passing on the knowledge to you and all that kind of thing. You know, if you think about how martial arts generally evolved, that was the teaching process. And to be frank, I think that teaching process is lost in the class element a bit sometimes. So, you know, you rock up to a class and you sometimes think, is this really relevant to my personal development as a in this sport? Excuse me. But whereas in a, in a one-to-one relationship, if you're not getting that personal development, then then it's the fault of the teacher, right? 100% the fault of the teacher. So I think it still has an, a link to that. And I think because it's younger, that link has carried on a bit. You know, you look at Danaha and Gordon Ryan. I mean, it that link is there between mm-hmm. those two. Whereas, you know, other people less so. So I think that's why it's happened with, to do with the age of the sport I think with regard to the, the history of it I mean Robbie we and you have talked about some of the research and stuff you've done and you just sort of go this is fucking madness it's like the the, 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 the you know the cult of personality stuff that goes on where people revere things it's just like how, how is this even how are people it's like flat earth stuff but in my well that happens in Russia too but <laughs> It's like that kind of thinking where you just go, how how are people acting in a subservient way? And the funny thing, actually, um, when one of the things about that was that about how it was um, pushed, you know, ten years ago was like if you if you rallied against it, like that kind of you're not buying a service the the the, the sort of master relationship with, with regard to teaching. If you if you in any way rallied against it and you saw these things on, on social media about it, then it was almost put down as that's because you have too much of an ego to um, to to allow someone to to subjugate yourself to that process, right? 
So it's almost like saying, the reason why you don't like it is because you're too far up your own ass to accept that someone is going to be your master, you know? And it, it's just bullshit because we're not in feudal fucking Japan, you know? It's just, it's just a fucking... Anyway, that's my view on that. That makes sense. Um, There was another thing I was wondering about because you, okay, you you didn't really have much of a sporting background. Even the the sporting background (laughs) you had before jujitsu, you told us about it. It's eclectic, and you said you were still overweight by the time you started jujitsu. So so clearly, (laughs) clearly, your actual goals for hang on, actually, when did you start doing martial arts? Can I just check? Oh, in, the wind uh, chung and stuff, I guess. Or yeah, like, so, you know, what chip so on late game. late thirties, my late thirties. And when did you start jujitsu? Uh, when I was thirty nine. Okay, the year the year I was forty. Didn't you get into martial arts so you could be in shape? No, no. I thought you said no. you looked in the mirror and you were like, "Oh no!" I know, no. That was I need to do something that was fitness related. Okay, and then I think what happened was I I kind of thought I need something that's fitness related, and that kind of mythology of martial arts kind of felt like it was something when I tried all the other stuff. But the thing is when you're stood in a sports hall doing horse stance and bong sows, I don't think it, you lose weight. <laughs> well, clearly not. Cause you got to jujitsu 10 years, almost 10 yeah, yeah. years later. <laughs> so yeah. So, my actual point, when when I just realised that when I was saying it, my actual point was going to be, you, you haven't had much of a competitive background. I know you said you were you were winning the old man divisions, but a lot, but like, I I think nowadays, especially a lot of those old men will have been doing it since their early twenties. So it's pretty phenomenal, actually, that you got that you started that late and then started those old man divisions and then won shit like the British Open. Um, I would say they, they may be like a, a, a lot of the guys I thought would have say a judo background or something like that. And then they'd cross train. So you remember I was winning a blue, blue belt and stuff like that and purple belt. I was meddling. So they often tended to be people who, who were quite serious about martial arts, but, but were, were pretty rugged. Yeah. So, you know, don't get me wrong, man. I, I, I kind of went from being this idiot who didn't really know what they're doing to someone who, I mean, look, I'll be clear. My wife, I don't know if she can hear me when I'm on the, on this thing, but I, I, I was pretty obsessed with jujitsu. So I even now, I mean, I train four, five times a week if I can. And I have them. So there's a group of us. We used to do like a closed door session. Um, so we do the training at nine o'clock, everyone or eight on eight o'clock, the class would be done. I had the keys to the gym, so do you, I don't know if you've met Fraser, Robbie. I'm not He's sure about now. Darren Bushby sometimes trains with he trains at John Hathaway sometimes. Mm-hmm. Purple, but yeah, you know Darren. You beat him at the graphic. Oh, industries. that Darren. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah. him, there was me, him, Harry, who trains with us, who's a brown belt now, and a guy called Dan Fitzgerald. Who and he doesn't train anymore. And a guy called is it De- David, Spanish dude. And we would shut the we would pull the blinds down because I don't think I don't think you're allowed to use the building for the sports after a certain time. So pull the blinds down, turn off half the lights of the gym, 
And then we would drill from like eight till 11 and spa. We'd, we would we would be like pouring over things like Marcelo Garcia's ex-guard mm-hmm. book, all these kind of things and just going, okay, then let's drill these things. And, and we would like troubleshoot everything. And, you know, I'd get home, my wife would be like, what the fuck is going on? Because <laughs> yeah, I was never, I would be like, I wasn't avoiding being at home, but I was just training all the time. And she'd be like going, Fair. Going, oh, look, she's going. Well, oh right, okay. And she was, she was like going. Who are these people? Because I'm not being funny. I wasn't hanging out with them unless I was training with them, right? So, so yeah. But I was. I became. So the reason I was winning was because I worked really hard. I was training obsessively. Um, you're right to point out that I didn't really have uh, an athletic background. Thanks for that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, But also, like in my job, so in my job, my job is, is if I was to distill it down, um, it's problem solving, right? So I solve, am I going to make it sound like, um, like Mr. Wolf from Pulp Fiction? Like I solve problems, right? But I, I kind of, I'm not Mr. Wolf from Pulp Fiction, but I do solve problems. And for me, that's what Jiu-Jitsu is about, right? You're sort of problem solving in a very stressful environment, if you allow it to be. And what I did as a, a white belt, I started, and I was always in half guard because I was so shit that everyone was almost always part, just about to pass my guard. So I thought, I need to deal with this. So I, I started just playing half guard all the time. And I got, and I basically had one, two, I had, you know, the, um, old school sweep they call it and plan b will be flipping the other way so those two and i had like a mean loop choke as well from half guard and and i used the i I just basically made those the thing so every comp i would do those sweeps and then i would add slight variations to it i remember ivan saying to me do you know who bernardo ferrara is no i'm not really a jiu-jitsu geek in that sense he went go and watch videos of him. And so I started adding his sweeps into it as well, always doing that kind of getting the lapel between the legs. Sounds odd, doesn't it, when you say it in a non-training environment? Uh, Everyone's everyone's the jiu-jitsu guy who's going to be listening to this. I wouldn't worry about that. (laughs) So I started using that. And the thing about Bernardo Farias' style is, as he would admit himself, he's not an athletic guy. And, you know, that kind of style, I found that really worked for me. So So I was really sort of, focused on what I did. I met him, by the way, Bernardo Fry. Oh, it's, jiu-jitsu is funny like that. You can actually meet big people. Like, it's it's not like other sports. You can actually meet people who are at the top of the game. Oh, yeah. So I was in the, I went, my wife had a load of air miles. And we were just sort of, she went, what do you want to do with them? And I was like, oh, I don't know. And then I, I worked out, I could get to New York and back. I went, would it be okay if I went to New York to do a comp? So I went to New York for a week, for, effectively for free, and um, trained at Unity, and I went and and I went to Marcelo's as well. And uh, the day I went to Marcelo's, teaching the fundamentals class was Bernardo Ferrer. He 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 was world champion at the time, right? And he was teaching the fundamentals. So I was doing that, and it was. For, I mean, don't get me wrong. Unity was different. Unity was, Unity was tough. That was hard mm-hmm. training, but Marcelo's was much more. Tour, there's a lot more tourists and stuff, and I was there, 
And Bernardo walked past, you know, I was in awe. Again, a 45, six-year-old man in awe. It's, it's pathetic, really, but anyway. <laughs> and, he, and he walked past and he sort of went, are you from Europe? I went, uh, yeah. I'm <laughs> thinking, would I smell different? And he went, because what it is, I can tell where people are from by the smell of their laundry. And I went, you yeah. fucking what? And, he was like, and it, that was his thing, was he would, he was like, yeah, so when I've been traveling around the world, I think the laundry has a really distinct smell. So that's how I knew you were from Europe. But you know, you're like going, this is not the fucking yeah. conversation I thought I'd be having with the, the, the world champion of jiu-jitsu. But yeah, there, there not calling bullshit, but maybe the accent had something to do with it as well. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. I was going to say, like, I wouldn't even consider it for a second if he had gone and said, yeah, I can do this. But the fact that he confidently came over and said, are you European? It makes me go for a second, like, is this legit? Or is he just, like, found it well, out beforehand I, and then... I hadn't spoken to him. And, and, and the thing was, the class was rammed. Absolutely right. I mean, if you have to smell you, then our laundry must really smell. What can I say? I'm just a really clean kind of guy. I don't know, man. It was, it was, but yeah, he was super cool. He's kind of, he's just like a kind of like an accountant, if you know what I mean. He didn't. There wasn't anything in any way ominous about him or anything like that. He was super cool. Whereas the guys at Unity. You kind of felt like that if you called anyone out for a role or anything, then you were taking your life into your own hands. Do you know what I mean? That was a tough play. They were really good as well. I mean, I went to the comp classes and stuff. I think that the the only nice thing Marillo said to me was, "Yeah, that was a nice scramble you did in that one." I was like, "Is that a fucking? Is that all I get, Marillo?" But yeah, it's fucking. That was hardcore. That was hardcore training. Anyway, I digress. Um. It's not really digression, it's jujitsu stories. That's all we're really yeah. here for. Um, <laughs> one thing I was interested in, again, uh, you prefer nogi. Um, most older guys do not. Um, most older guys, it's, tr- it's true, it's true. Yeah, most uh, it's most guys say that, you know, they want to... call him an athletic. It's fine. You know when you were really fat you started jujitsu? <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for me. Yeah, I do, actually. We Thanks. were, not anymore. Um, but it, it is true, most guys your age will say they prefer ghee because it slows mm. it down. But mm. you're, you know, you were saying the other day you like no ghee to the extent where you don't even like the label of being like a pure Brazilian jiu-jitsu guy. Yeah, that where, is true. Yeah. Why no ghee? Like, where did that love come from? Why? Um, I'm not going to say it's to do with realism because it's not right. I, I, but I do think there's something about wearing an arcane outfit to do. Um, like I could never, like I could never do Sambo, right? I could never do that. <laughs> I could never wear that outfit. I just couldn't do it in the same way. Like Aikido has those big billowy trousers. I just couldn't. It's just, I'd be like, what? the hell is that so it's not that and don't get me wrong i think geese and jiu-jitsu i like the fact that they're tapered and compared to other martial arts sounds 
sounds a bit lame, but that's true. But I think for me, the reason why I prefer no ghee is um, ghee has wrecked my look. If I just hold my fingers up there, that that shouldn't look mm-hmm. like that, right? And my knuckles, I've got my knuckles are blown out, and that's from grips. Nothing else. That is totally from grips. Um, I. I I, I get the idea that it slows the game down, but I think anything. I think if you're proficient in entanglements, or um, I've been working a lot personally. I've been working a lot recently on like using arms for you know, like wrapping someone up and getting into clinches in in in, in pressure type positions. I think if you're proficient in those activities, then you can slow the game down in nogi. And and ultimately, I think it's a excuse me. Um, I think it's actually a higher skilled sport because I believe in order to to um, I think in order to control your opponent you have to be so much more precise you, you can't you can't hold a grip you can't stop someone turning so in jiu-jitsu if someone if, if you're trying to transition and counter someone you can prevent them by holding cloth right whereas in in um, Nogi, you just don't have those levers available to you. So you, you, your understanding of the human body, I think, has to be improved. So I'm finding now um, that I'm, especially when I've been doing um, classes with more wrestle-based people like yourself, Robbie, or like Mo, who we train with, Ollie, who you've mentioned, obviously the terror that is Dominic Dillon, <laughs> You know, when I'm training with these guys, with you guys, you know, I, I am literally, well, I'm more than twice your age and the same with, with Ollie. So I have to actually physically control you in an efficient manner. And I think in Nogi, that, that requires a higher level of skill. So for me, I, I enjoy that aspect of it. And, and also, when it comes to it being a fast-paced game, I get more out of that. Mm-hmm. I get more out of that than I do in Ki. I've... I just find, I find as a, as a sport and as an activity, I find it more enjoyable. I find it more taxing mentally, which is what I really like about combat sports, about jiu-jitsu generally. And, and if I'm honest, I think the point you made about the label of being a jiu-jitsu guy, um, I don't, I, I don't subscribe to that. I, I want, I, I think things like catch, you know, when I've, I think John Hathaway has to be probably the most naturally talented and ha- probably hardworking as well person that I've ever had the, the the opportunity to roll with. And he just, the way that he can do things, I, I'm in total awe of that. And so that's the kind of where I would, I, I'm not, not going to be in his space, but that that is what I think it's about being having a mastery of what you're doing and, and control of your body, being able to um, exert control over your opponent, being able to exploit their mistakes. And I, I love the fact that when I'm rolling with younger people, I have, to, I have to work out how to counter their athleticism and their ability to be faster than me. So that was a long-winded explanation of why I like Nogi. Okay. <laughs> it's a good one and it's going to upset some people, I think, if we say it's uh, Nogi's more technical. I think it is, though. 
I think it is. It's I, I, made a fair yeah. argument. I don't really have any specific counter to it other than there's more stuff going on in, in Guy, but you are right about the levers. Mm. And also I think the rule set being I think the rule set being open in no Guy, as it always has been, makes for um no, I don't care about the realism, right? We're a bunch of people rolling around on the floor playing playing a game, right? So I don't care about the realism, but I think having a, a wider submissions open to you, in, including, don't get me wrong, it sucks being cranked when you're 51 years old, okay? It, I hate it, but I accept it. But that doesn't mean to say that I don't do it to other people. <laughs> but anyway, but, but I think having the wider submission set makes you, the problem-solving aspect becomes, becomes heightened, you have to think about where your feet are. You have to think about about someone controlling because in jiu-jitsu, in gi jiu-jitsu or in certain rule sets, if someone gets your head, you're, you're worried about them. You can defend that. But when you're trying to defend a choke and someone's actually twisting your head, you know, popping your head off, or there's a guy we roll with, Lee, called um, Amos. <laughs> who, uh, who, Amos. Who, yeah. who literally... Uh, he subbed me by simply crushing my skull <laughs> multiple, multiple, multiple times. Uh, maybe we should do a little aside to explain Amos' yeah. style of jiu-jitsu. It's, um, Amos is purely, purely on the submission-only end of the yeah. spectrum. Um, he, I don't think he really knows how to pass the guard. Um, he's also incredibly unfit. Um, like really like enormously strong but we like drill lightly for 10 to 15 minutes and he is pouring with sweat <laughs> just a puddle on the floor but he will make up his own funky submissions my least favorite of them being the one-eyed pirate um, the, the one-eyed pirate is where he'll get a grip around your neck or your head and then he'll use his chin into your eyeball so that you tap. <laughs> and this is this is Amos. This is Amos's style. He his favourite guard is the dead man guard, which um, I've previously called the pencil guard. It's where you <laughs> lie down flat, um, like it's virtually <laughs> unsubmittable. But just it's it's struggle. I, I, I struggle to call it jujitsu. What he does. Um, yeah, he he. So he, so he trained at Ivan's, right? So I've known him from way, 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 way back. He started training probably about the same time as I did. Oh, what? So you saw him at the beginning? Yeah. What, how, he was always, why did he, he end up like this? <laughs> he was the same then. He, he hasn't evolved. <laughs> he's, that's how we started and how it ended, right? But he, he's a little bit older than me. And, you know, what I like, what I like about it is there's two things, right? One is... He doesn't give a shit. He he has decided that's what he likes doing, and that is what he's going to do. And you know, there is another side to that. He has to be careful about who he trains with. There's no doubt about that. But the second side of it is back to the problem solving thing. So when I roll with him, I'm thinking about these things, and I'm thinking, okay, so if I can stop him crushing when I'm pirating me, if that is even a verb, um, then then that means I'm keeping my neck away from him, and you know. Uh, I'm working. I'm working to ensure that I'm not. You know, he can't exploit a mistake. The problem, and what that does is, it gets you thinking defensively. But you also have to remember that you don't want to spend a whole five minutes or a round 
being defensive. So you have to think about how you exploit his mistakes while you're doing that, right? The only thing is you, you end up in a, in a world of Amos where you start thinking it's completely legit to do things which you really shouldn't be doing, right? So like you're just there just dropping your elbows into ribs or this kind of mean stuff. But yeah, it's cool. I, I sometimes wonder what I'm doing with my life when I'm rolling with Amos. <laughs> yeah. He is interesting but, as a sort of, uh, I, I find him interesting as a, a challenge in game planning. Mm, yes, exactly that. Exactly that. Because he is, he's just built, he feels like metal. He's just built yeah. like a tank. So it's, it's trying to get him to open up so you can actually attack something. But the only way to do it is to do horrible shit to him, like knee on face, or like you have to, you have to. Well, his knees on stuff. It's always knees on things. It's the only way I get him. Like I, I'll get like a, a reversed seatbelt on him, and then go to knee on belly, and it's the only way I can get his arms to come away from his chest so that I can attack him. But it's, yeah, it's just bizarre. A bizarre. To, style. Say, to tell you what it's like, right? We'll be doing all this stuff. Then at the end of the class, you'll still be you'd, you'd be doing you know your penultimate role or whatever you're doing. And you hear this noise, you look over, and Amos is stood there, like just bracing himself and just getting people to just randomly <laughs> punch him. Just, <laughs> just like, come on, hit me. And like, going, what the fuck is going on? So, yeah. I just like how this podcast has been like, Robbie kind of giving like not nice words to his training partners. Next time you go training after this, yeah. part, you're going to get fucked up. <laughs> yeah. I, I say this shit to Amos to his face every day it's not like he can fuck me up anywhere like if, if i want to avoid him fucking me up i jog slowly around him and he won't be able to keep up that's the easiest way to pass his guard or, or, or the way to avoid not getting fucked up by Amos is you know that thing when you're picking partners at the end of a round and you do the eye contact thing you know, do you know what I mean? When you look around going, okay, then who do I avoid yeah. eye contact with? Well, that's what you have to do. You have to go, oh, Amos is looking at me. Oh, I really? I'm parched. I must go and get a drink. <laughs> oh, my gum shield suddenly doesn't fit properly. I must spend a few seconds altering that. Oh, I don't know. So, yeah. Anyway, so, yeah. I don't know where we got to. That was Nogi, wasn't it? Yeah. So, I like Nogi because – and also, um, I, there was a Reddit thread on it, actually where a bunch of guys were, were eulogising it. And I'd always liked Nogi. I thought it was kind of fun. And they were talking about it from an older band's perspective, older person, not man, whatever. And uh, I was like, oh, that made sense. So, yeah. The, the only thing is, I wish... I've started doing it a bit more this week, actually, is start, starting to focus, work on my stand-up more, because I think if you're going to do Nogi, you, can, you, you can't admit that at all. So, yeah. And that's starting to do that a bit more. That's why I prefer it nowadays. It's just gee people diving at my legs and pulling shitty guard. <laughs> I can't be bothered with it. I just want to wrestle someone and people are just avoiding it. But yeah. Yeah, well, I noticed last week when we did the comp class and we were doing the, the wrestling bit, right? And I was doing some bullshit stuff. And you were like, I thought, obviously, because you're training, because you're doing that catch wrestling thing. But I noticed. The, the the definitive, you know, you're very definite in how you were doing things. And I thought, okay, this makes sense. This is what I, I need to pick a few things and then work on them and make that part of my, my game. So like this week, um, so I'm not saying he, he's, I'm a fanboy to openly, but Owen Livesey, for example, I think he's great. And there's the thing he says about the collar tie and working to the inside, 
And I just took, that was, I think it was on one of his Instagram posts. And I took that and I just started adding it into the beginning of a round. And all of a sudden I was like going, all right, now I've got something to focus on. I'm not putting guard. And it just made sense to do that. So it's quite cool. But anyway, right, there you go. That's Nogi. <laughs> Lee, have you got a non-offensive question? I, I just wish I could Jake jump is. in at calling people, but, you know, I, maybe I'll come down to Brighton one day and trade. But no, um, yeah, I, I suppose there. the only question yeah. I was going to say is kind of as you have got older. Um, <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah, no one's mentioned yeah, that I know, yet, Just so everybody listening knows. <laughs> you are an older gentleman. Um, how your body's kind of coped, because, like, I'm 30 now and like I'm injury prone, like there's no tomorrow. Um, how have you coped with that? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I've been super fortunate in that I've not had, I mean, I'm saying that now, jinx it, so touch wood, whatever. I haven't had a, an injury that's required surgery or something like that. I've, my fingers are screwed. I've had turf toes, all that kind of stuff. My ears are pretty gnarly. Um, but, and I've never actually been choked unconscious. Uh, you know, I've, so I've been careful, but I think, so I, so on top of my jujitsu training, I, I do strength training. I do, so I do some light strength training every day, which is just movement based with some kettlebells. And then at least twice a week, I try and do a more, more sort of compound lifts and stuff like that. Again, my wife's a personal trainer, so we've got an array of equipment at home, which I use for that. Um, I also, I'm super careful about with my diet. Uh, when I was in Paris, I switched before Paris. So when I went to Paris, what I did was I sort of used to have a scale, right? So I'd go, if there's a good vegan option, I'll have that. If there's a vegetarian option, I'll have that. Fish, chicken, red meat. Um, and then what happened was when I came back, um, I switched to a total vegetarian option and the reason the reason being because i don't know how, how often you've competed i've i mean i've competed a lot and I've, i used to cutting weight was just fucking awful and you do all the key what are you, what are you eating to cut weight bacon are, are you really and chicken and that's it right you're just eating meat and you're going everything stinks you're on the toilet a lot and that stinks and it's just hor- a horrible lifestyle and my family are like hating me. I'm hating them. It's just rubbish. So what I found by switching to more plant-based, if that's the cool word to use now, is that my weight didn't fluctuate as much and I was able to keep weight off. I mean, lockdown didn't help actually. So I'm probably three or four kilos over what I, not, what I would normally walk around at or did before lockdown. And it's been it's been a hard effort to... I mean, you stuff. cried at me when I said I yeah. was getting old and injured. I'm going to go like that to you now because I, I put 11 kilos <laughs> on in lockdown. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly, right? Exactly. It's it's hard. You know, because I, I cycle. I mean, this isn't – that's my bike, actually, but I do cycle as well. And, I'm, <laughs> you know, and I'm one of those lycra twats, basically. <laughs> and so – when you put it on and you and you you're in shape, when you're wearing cycling gear, you're like, "Hey, look at me!" You sort of <laughs> yeah. a twat, but you think you look cool. But when I went, when you know, during lockdown, I was like, "Going, oh, this is a yeah. bit of a challenge." And so, you know, that 
I, I did put on a bit, a bit more than just the four kilos over lockdown. That got away with some of it. Um, I'm sort of, I use comps as an incentive, right? I, I use them as a thing to, if I aim for a comp at a certain weight, then I can get away with, I can, I can justify to my wife or anyone where they're going, what are you eating? And I'm going, lightweight or some bullshit like that right so that's what i do but yeah i I do look i'm really um really on it with my not nutrition but just my my food but generally um like i said i do do yoga do a lot of stretching um stuff that i think older people should do anyway because if you need to do resistance training and you know, I've got a, I've got a shoulder injury that um, Sylvie from the gym has helped me out has been helping me out with, which I need to rehab. But you know, the, whenever you see a physio, the answer is get stronger, mm-hmm. right? To to you know be, and I, and I think as Robbie's testament is an example of, if you're stronger, it it affects your sport, right? If you're not, there, there's there's a reason why Gordon Ryan, apart from being some kind of weird lunatic when it comes to, you know a super talented guy with jiu-jitsu he's big right and he's that and strength matters all that sort of technique beats strength that's bullshit it does it simply is not true if it, all things are equal then strength comes into play just like mm-hmm. flexibility does is that answer i think that was a very long-winded answer to your Stretch, get strong, don't eat. Well, no, it seems to be more around the supplementary stuff. It's not just like when an 18 year old kid trains, like when I was training Thai boxing when I was a kid, it was kind of like just go to the gym and I'll bounce back. Um, and what you've just said there is a lot of the supplementary stuff helps kind of carry on as normal. Yeah. So, I mean, this is, this is where the real stuff comes out, right? Is, my social life is non-existent. Okay, um, I don't drink. Um, I'm not I'm not teetotal or anything. I might have an occasional beer, or a, you know, a glass of wine, or you know, whiskey or something. But I don't drink to excess. Um, not because I've got a history of abuse or so, anything like that. <laughs> yes. Well, I want to be. I I, I, I mm. love training. I love training, and I also know that I can go training one day and it can be abysmal. And so I, I want to be training the next day because I know the way to get over abysmal training back, is yeah. to keep going. Yeah. And, you know, and the thing is, yeah, I partied a lot when in, in my 20s and a bit into my 30s. And one, your health, it, it's not, it, that's fine. And it, it's a life, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't change it. It was, it was a great time. But my kids don't respect that. They don't, they don't sort of go, oh, dad's got a hangover. Let's all be quiet. They're running around doing whatever they want, making demands of me. So, you know, it's it's part of, for me, part of my life changing involved pushing some of those things to one mm-hmm. side. But yeah, I think the main thing is don't eat shit, uh, lift heavy things, move heavy things around. And I mean, I remember Yusuf saying to me once, and I, to be honest with you, I haven't changed it too much, which is I used to have this like mantra that I would never turn down someone asking me to roll at the gym. I didn't care who they were, what weight they were, what belt they were, I would roll with them. And I think actually, Robbie, it would be fair to say, I probably still do that now. Like, you do it unless you're really tired. 
Yeah, like Ollie, <laughs> Ollie, who's 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 the the gym phenom. You know, it'd be the end. Of, it'd be that thing where, and I'm thinking, oh, Ollie's going to ask me, <laughs> and I'll go, Hey JP, do you want to roll? And I, come on. yeah, <laughs> I do. Come on, let's go. And you know, I think if you're my, I, I there will be a day when mm-hmm. I can't do it, and. I want that day to be as far off in the distance as possible because you guys, you've got, if you wanted, you've got another 20, 30 years of this, right? So I don't have that. I don't have that 20, 30 years. No, and also I don't want to be that guy who just flow rolls when they're older. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I don't want to be the guy who everyone take, I mean, maybe they are behind my back taking it easy on me. I, I don't know. <laughs> but You know what I mean? <laughs> okay. Yeah, go on, go and roll with JP. It's an easy roll. It's fine. You know I mean? But it, it, I, you know, I don't want to. I, I enjoy the sport for the intensity. I enjoy it for the challenges it puts upon me and my body. And so, you know, I, I want to be in the best shape I can to to do that. I was going to comment on that, but actually, tip, the typical advice when you say how like how he managed it as an older guy, not getting injured, blah blah, blah it's oh, pick your roles carefully, take lots of rest rounds, um, don't go with this person and that person. So I really like that your advice was just not that <laughs> at all. So so on there is a structure to how I do it, right? Mm-hmm. I do. There's a podcast, the Raspberry Eight podcast, with Simon Hayes who's about my age, he's a black belt, and he's got some kid. they have, you know, there's killers training at his gym, you know, Carson Gracie up in London. And if I rock up to the session and it's stacked with people who are super tough and really good, I will do, I will, I will try, I will try to have a, a warm-up role with someone who I know I can, I can move, I, get, I can get a lot of movement out of, so I will move. And then I will try and roll with the killers. Mm-hmm. Okay, I try and get those rolls in early, not to get them out of the way, but because I want them to get something from the round. So I want to be able to give them a good, you know, put, put up a good fight. So I try and roll with them early. Inevitably, that strategy doesn't work because what happens is what I've just described, where I'll do all that. It'll be like five minutes before the end of the class. And then someone like Ollie will be, like I said, or someone, or Dom will go, hey, JP, fancy another one? I'm like, yeah, all right. Why, why not come over me eight, eight million times in five minutes? You know what I mean? <laughs> so, yeah, but I, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but aspiring is the most fun, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So that's the thing that you want to do. So I'm not interested in being a martial artist. I'm not interested in like, you know, being all Buddha and Zen. There are, there are positive effects that come from doing the sport. I like rocking up and having, you know, we can call it a fight if you want. I don't really care. But we having those sessions where you go at each other and you try and take, you know, you don't have to try and tear each other's head off, but doing that, that is, I find that fun, right? And that's what I enjoy and I want to be able to do it. So I can't back down from all the, the mm-hmm. rounds and having a rest round means, you know, I'm, I, I, I don't, I, I maybe once in a while I'll rest or if, you know, I don't, if I don't particularly fancy it, but I'm happy to do back to back rounds. Why not? You know what I mean? 
I uh, I think you're probably more of a martial artist than you think, and partly because that idea about the the Buddha Zen martial artist is a load of horseshit. Mm-hmm. Martial arts were, <laughs> martial arts were made so that people could either hurt other people or you know they could fight them, right? Like that's why mm. they were made in the first place. I think this idea about the the Zen like only in self defense thing, I think it's probably a sort of Hollywood conjuration. Um, yeah. I think Gordon Ryan, like the thing we said before, he's probably right. Like jujitsu was made about a bunch of guys going to sort of take what they wanted. Um, and, and that's what it was originally. Uh, you know, there might be an honor aspect to it, but it's more about like going and fighting whoever and not turning down any challenges. So I think you're probably embodying the what was probably the actual spirits of martial art more than yeah. the uh, Hollywood aspects of it. So I think you're doing all right there. I probably should put some speedos and go down to Copacabana Beach and start fighting Lucha <laughs> Libre guys because I think that's <laughs> what they used to do. Yeah. Too, it's too pebbly. <laughs> I don't think even they. I think I think people are like, oh, Jiu-Jitsu was forged on the beaches of Brazil. If if the beaches of Brazil were covered in rocks, <laughs> I don't think yeah. they would have been. Be, everyone would be everyone would be doing boxing. It'd be Brazilian boxing. Brazilian boxing, yes. So yeah. Okay, makes sense. Yeah, yeah. No, that was good for me. That was good. Okay, cool. All right, we got okay. any other, any other bits to explore? Any other bits to look at? Nothing for me. <laughs> I don't know, mate. Have you got any other crazy stories to tell us? Any weird, any weird shit that you've seen in jujitsu? Weird shit. Because you've not. No. I guess you weren't actually doing it in the early days in the UK. To be fair. No, but but ten years ago, I mean, you know, I remember as a white belt going to like the Bournemouth Open. It was my first ever comp. Um, went to the you know you're on that mat. Went to the mat. Sat at the edge of the mat, waiting to waiting for the for, for the you know the, the the match fight previous to end, and it ended. And it was a ref's decision, if I recall. And the ref gave it to one guy. And the other guy's coaches lost their fucking minds, right? And, started, and everyone started shouting in Portuguese. Next thing I know, the ref's like taking, you know, and pointing at the coach going, you, me, now, on the mat. I'm like, what the fuck is this shit? <laughs> and, you know, there was, still, there was a lot of that going on. I mean, I remember at the English Open, um black belts, like slapping each other, throwing each other over, you know, and maybe not, th- there was a, there was a few slapping incidents and stuff like that. But yeah, it, 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 there was no, and on that BJJ underground, there used to be loads of stories of dojo storms and illegitimate black belts. And stuff like that. I never, but for me, I never got involved in that. That's not my jam. I was just more into just the bullshit that I did really. <laughs> I mean, that guy, on that point of that guy, Marcelo, I remember Phil telling me that when everyone left Marcelo's to go to ZT, Marcelo was like, got the stinking... So this this might be total hearsay and anecdotal bullshit, but anyway, he went, you know what we need to do, Phil? Phil was like, what do we need to do, Marcelo? He said, we need to go and get some bricks and put them through the window of ZT fight. School and I go, what the fuck are you talking about? So yeah, there was... That culture was still here in the UK ten years ago. It, 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 you know, what I mean, it was still around. But yeah, it's gone now. I hope for, for good rinse. I think, although it makes for good stories and stuff like that, it's not. It's not sustainable. It's not real life. 
the person the, do you know who the best person for stories is is the guy called simon hayes he did a series of um posts do you know who simon hayes is i think you do i know the name and i'm trying to think um, so he's a he's a black he's a black belt at, um carson gracie's he's basically a sound engineer he won an uh an oscar for Everyone's working a fucking on. nerd he, he, he's not a nerd man he's like old school londoner type guy he's best mates with guy Ritchie, and also and that's how he got into jiu-jitsu the guy Ritchie trains right like, yeah so guy Ritchie's a black belt and uh renzo i think and the, the story goes that um they were doing a, one of the one of the guy Ritchie films so simon hayes works quite a lot with guy Ritchie. they were there got I think Simon Hayes was doing, had been doing karate and Guy Richard had been fucking about doing jujitsu. He said, Hey, come here. Um, Simon, come and come and meet this guy. I said, what are you talking about? I, said, I think the guy was named Scott. He was a blue belt from the States. And he said, uh, come on, have a, have a go. And he went, what are you talking about? And he obviously, got into his karate stance ready to you know this is just between shoots when they just throw some mats down and having a fuck about and he did this scott double legged him put him on the mat beat the shit out of him he went oh okay and he kept doing it apparently and then he went oh, i think there's something in this and then simon he his he he was part of the sort of old school black belts in the uk him and dickie martin and he has got he used to post these amazing stories about where he'd be going around the world filming and just like adventures he had at different gyms where he'd turn up and yeah, just in these crazy places. Imagine when they make all these films, right? So he'd be in these crazy places and they'd be doing that. But that's the person we speak to. We hope you enjoyed that episode. If you did, please consider subscribing to the podcast and checking us out on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram under the name Combat Thoughts. We'll see you next time.